Hey, Chaps, happy Monday. Hope you all had a great weekend. What a time to be alive. It's really fascinating to pick up the kind of zeitgeist uh, of racial tension that, that carries on. Um, you know, obviously this whole trial thing going on, I, I couldn't care less. You know, there's this whole thing of localism, practical, practical, what's your life uh, in front of you, what's happening, what's going on, like focus there. You know, so I don't watch the news. I don't um, scroll and scroll and scroll political influencer type people. Um, I actually need to like stick a piece of paper on my laptop when I scroll Twitter to cut out all of the trending and news stuff. But, you know, there's been nothing but uh, Chauvin and uh, some other black guy gets shot and all this kind of thing. And it's just really fascinating this frame that we're put in in the Western world <clears throat> where it's okay for everybody else uh, to have a group identity. It's okay for every group to uh, have a, a group consciousness and advance their um, causes and all of, that, all of that kind of thing. Uh, but the moment a white boy says it's okay to be white, uh, you would think uh, Hitler, the Austrian artist himself, um, had just arrived on scene. And therein lies a, a, a telling window into our world as Christians, um, as Westerners the, in the Anglosphere. Um, we are so petrified of the word racist. We're so petrified of being labeled by uh, people who are upset. Don't upset anyone. Don't, ooh, that's off topic. That's a, you know, and so we show our, our cowardice, our intellectual cowardice, our moral cowardice, our social cowardice uh, by what we're not willing to talk about. And, you know, there's that great meme of the little doge, little, little or, or strong muscle doge. It says like students in the 1800s uh, willing to debate any topic, anytime, anywhere. And then the little sad doge, soy doge, uh, students today uh, cancel uh, cancel any topic, anytime, any place, or afraid or whatever. But I was just like, yeah, it's so true. You know, I, I think I think that's where you know. I never went to college. I never did the whole academia thing. Um, and I kind of float between living in. The kind of maybe the Dunning Kruger of like sometimes I feel like a midwit and like I look at the galaxy brains and I'm like, wow, what a take! That's an amazing take. You deserve it. You should be a, a university professor, just dispensing galaxy takes. And sometimes I look at the Greg brains and I'm like, man, I wish I could have that confidence and that just go do stuff, you know. And it's like, am I either of these? And it's like, I have my moments. I have my moments. But what I what I feel that that you know I look at so many. I look at so many brilliant minds and I'm like, you're afraid. You're afraid to talk about wonderful issues. Um, and so, so I do end up just chilling with the Greg brains a lot of with the Greg posters where it's like, yeah, let's talk about anything. Like let's, and let's, let's apply, let's not go into these crazy ethereal uh, theories and whatnot. Like let's keep it practical. Let's keep it concrete. Let's have great metaphors. Let's have examples and testimonies. So when it comes to race, one of those 
uh, easily understood memes, uh, a grug post, if you will, is marriage. You know, I love my wife. Uh, we, we have chosen to build a life together. Uh, we have uh, an expectation, if you will, of duties and responsibilities towards each other. That exclusivity, exclusivity of resources, exclusivity of time and energy and attention, exclusivity of sexual uh, connection, uh, exclusivity of uh, uh, emotional or uh, trust, if you want to call it that. You would be an insane idiot to say that my marriage and in-group preference with my wife means that I now hate every other woman on earth. That's a very understandable metaphor for people, right? Marriage. By me loving my wife, by me protecting my wife, by me having in-group preference for my wife, it doesn't mean I hate every other woman in the world. Like, oh, there's another woman who's not my wife. Slur, get out of here, blah, 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 all this stuff. It's like, you're insane. And likewise with nationalism. The root um, of a nation is 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 a tribe and tongue. Uh, the root of a tribe and tongue is a family, a group of families very closely related. So you look at how uh, South Africa, where I'm from, uh, there, are, there are many different tribal groups that are very clearly delineated. They have their own tongue, their own tribal uh, identification, if you want to call it that. Uh, they're very close to each other in custom, in culture, in the way they talk, the things they value, uh, the things that make them angry, the things that make them happy. And they tend to have in-group preference, right? I prefer my brother, my cousin, uh, or my neighbor who has grown up with me my whole life. Um, I prefer their company because we've built trust. Now, some of that trust is life experience, right? So if I've, and this is another thing of our modern society that, that we don't have anymore, but is lived community experience with people, right? So where I grew up, the same families have been in place for, you know, two, three generations farming families uh, in my area that I grew up in South Africa. And so, you know, my friend, one of my best friends growing up, our dads were friends. Our brothers were friends. Uh, you know, my older brothers, his older brothers were friends. Uh, we knew each other's cousins. We went to the same school together. We played the same sports teams together. Uh, when we got older and started working for our father's businesses, we were now uh, patronizing each other's businesses and this this tribalism I love my mate you know when it's fire season so in South Africa there's fire season every every winter the grass gets super dry there's no rain and so whenever there's uh, uh, runaway fires the whole community shows up with their trucks and their little water bowsers on the back and you know because there's no fire services in South Africa it's all it's all community guys showing up uh, to help you know there's been times where you know there were runaway fires on my property and uh you know i'm in my my sun my suntan kit uh because you don't expect a fire it's like oh no there's a fire you're in your flip-flops and your baggies and you're like all right in the truck let's go fight a fire and so you, you're beating a fire and you know you get on the phone and you're like hey guys fire at my place please help and up within half an hour boom there's 10 trucks all your neighbors have arrived and it's like this amazing compatriot, uh, 
what camaraderie. And it's like, wow, I love these people. You know, I love these people. We have a, a, a value for each other, an honor for each other. And you could say that this is kind of like a tribe, right? Where I grew up, it's a, it's a tribe of the bigger tribe, Anglo. And certainly our, ally, our allied or uh, adjacent tribe, Afrikaner, you know, we're culturally adjacent. Uh, I respect them. Uh, they respect us. We're, we're both very agrarian. We're both very conservative. And so, you know, my, my oldest brother married an Afrikaans girl. There's a cultural adjacency, you know. We're, we're, we're certainly different. We have a different language. We have a different history. Uh, we have a different um, tribe. But we're culturally adjacent. We get along well. You know, I would happily be a second-class resident uh, in an Afrikaner civilization. No voting rights. Uh, no kind of legal protections because it's like they're an honorable people and they're going to build something that I would like to be a part of even if I were a second-class resident. You know, there's this there's this thing of cultural adjacency that we don't understand uh, in America because America has had such uh, a, domin a dominant cultural norm, expectation, right? Anglo, Christian, uh, capitalist, hard work, individualism, uh, you know, a lot of these things bad, you know, when you look at the enlightenment and how the enlightenment, the seeds of enlightenment were great. You know, it, it freed everybody up from the stifling church in Europe and the stifling monarchy and nobility in Europe and the stifling, uh, fief, uh, you know, uh, what do you call that economic system? Um, but where there's a fiefdom, a ser serfdom, Free people up from serfdom, right? But in the excesses of that, we've we've got this rabid individualism of screw everybody else, look out for yourself. And so the family takes a hit, community takes a hit, morality and and meaning takes a hit. That being said, you know you have this amazing post-Christian, right? So so Christianity laid, you know, because it was the Puritans and the Pilgrims who laid the groundwork for republicanism, who laid the groundwork for the next 250 years, you know, they say about the founding fathers that they were farmers LARPing as Romans. And it's like, yeah, I can see that, you know, these bunch of Christian boys, farmers uh, LARPing as Roman uh, senators and whatnot. And, uh, and de Tocqueville, uh, the French political philosopher and lawyer, you know, in 1830 something, he said of, of America, it is the Englishman left to himself. So we see this flavoring, this tribal the Anglo tribe flavoring of the new world. And so what we have is this incredible desire for the rest of the world to escape their tribal hells. You know, why, why did everyone and why does everyone want to escape to America? You know, it's, it's Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's country. You know, you don't know if you open the box, Schrodinger's cat, is the cat alive or is the cat dead? Until you open the box, you don't know. It's both alive and dead at the same time. America, is it the most racist, most uh, enslaving, uh, tyrannical hellhole on earth? Or is it the most shining beacon of freedom and, and liberty and uh, the American dream of any, any economic class can rise up to uh, economic aristocracy? Any man can become uh, a man of influence. Which one is it? 
which one is it both and at the same time right if you if you believe the 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 main narrative being taught in our schools is that you know what why are non-whites risking their lives to even just put their child in america uh, why are they risking their lives to to leave their countries uh, to come to america and no one's risking their lives uh, to relocate to africa to restart this great civilization you know everybody everybody has this desire to live under english common law you know so if you read the history um, of the english the way civilization happened in england and this is why i love my english heritage is not because it flattery of oh you're english so you're better than everyone else it's like no i'm english and so this is who i'm descended from this is my traditions this is my values this is my why i am the way i am why my passions and my thoughts and my and my why do i want to live the way i want to live so in 1200 about or is it 1000 probably about 12 i think it was 1215 king john is this tyrannical bastard king of england right he's overtaxing people he's causing just violence a bad king causes violence and poverty on his people and so the nobles get together and they basically say to him listen chap you're not above the law the king is not above the law in fact we are going to hold you accountable to a constitution right and i'm not a i'm not a huge advocate of constitutionalism the constitution is useless without the type of people who would live to the constitution right so you take the anglo germanic stock out of america constitution is useless it the constitution is merely a picture saying this is who we are it's not a governing body it's not a it hasn't stopped anything it hasn't you know it's not it's it's a tool that says that we are the people who like to live this way and you start putting people in you know there was there was a great controversy um with the italians and the irish you know they didn't consider the italians uh as assimilatable they didn't con you know the founding fathers were like i don't know we can't take italians in they're they're not uh assimilatable to anglo life you know they had the same hesitations with the irish and so your first racism uh was white on white right of a bunch of guys who were like look chaps we've got a good thing here we like what we have uh if we import a million italians into new york uh it will change um into little italy if we import uh a million irishmen into boston and chicago it will turn into little ireland uh and and that's kind of what happened right there's this there's this flavor that we bring with us it's it's part of us right if you take an anglo and you drop a bunch of us off in the middle you know i've often said this of of south africa if you drop if you carve out a piece of desert that no black tribe wants because the black tribes can't live in the deserts right they don't have the technology to to draw water from from ground level only the the afrikaners have the wind pump the wind pump technology uh and there's a sizable uh desert half of south africa is desert you know kind of like texas dry uh it's only good for sparse goat grazing and if you can actually get uh water out then you can grow 
uh, crops and, and trees and fruits and things uh, and, and do some ranching. And I often said this, you know, you take a desert and you put a bunch of Afrikaners there, they will create Afrikanerdom. You put a bunch of Anglos there, they will create Anglodom. You take a bunch of Zulus there, they'll create Zuludom, right? Place, magic dirt, this magic dirt theory, the, the joy of the Sivnat, the civic nationalist. Civic nationalists believe anyone can be American. In fact, everyone deserves, the whole world deserves to be American. The whole world are just Americans who haven't got here yet. The magic dirt will make a Somali into Ronald Reagan. Magic dirt will make a Nepali into Eisenhower. And, you know, you look at Minneapolis right now and it's burning. It looks like Mogadishu. You know, if you, if you take Mogadishu and, and line it up next to Minneapolis, uh, the only thing that, that is different is that uh, Minneapolis was built up by a different tribe before, uh, whereas Mogadishu is the same tribe the whole time, but, but the effects are the same. You can't take, and you can't take, you can take an Anglo out of England, but you can't take England out of the Anglo. So wherever you put the Anglo, England, will, this, this little Albion shall arise. DVG, how's it, brother? Good to have you guys on. John Terry, DVG, uh, really glad to have you guys on, man. Hope you guys had a good weekend. DVG, why do you think that immigrants see the reality of the beauty of English common law, whereas elite liberals see only oppression? Do you think they really see oppression or pretend for profit? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's this extreme... Just says I'm disconnected. There we go, back on. I grew up in post-British um, and Afrikaans South Africa. So I grew up in democracy, rainbow nation. Uh, the, the black nationalist communist party was in, is in charge my whole life, really. Um, so for me to come to as like Anglo, you know, I was like, uh, everyone speaks English. There's, there's English expectations, if you want to call it that, of like, you mean we can leave our doors open at night? <laughs> We can leave our keys in the car. Uh, you know, you can speak to everybody you meet during the day. Like there's no, you know, I was just like, whoa. Uh, and my wife, I remember when my first week in the country, uh, we went to a park to, to go take a walk. And I sat down on the bench and I almost had like a reverse PTSD, reverse culture shock. Constantly looking who's coming, where are my exits, who are my people, uh, you know, what, what a value of mine am I going to fight for slash uh, need to hide. Uh, you know, is it getting dark? We need to leave way before that. Uh, is my car okay at the, at the parking lot? The, you know, these are the questions that go through because there's a lack of law and order. You know, so you come to America, I'm sure many immigrants, Indians, uh, Africans, uh, South Americans, you come to, Amer to, to America and for the first time in your life, you have peace. No one's trying to corruptly oppress you. No one's trying to steal your crap. No one's trying, and I say this very broadly, uh, OG America, you know, you, you're, you're in the diverse cities, you're, you're experiencing South Africa, you're experiencing South America, you're experiencing Asia, because they, you can't switch. I, I come here, right? And I honor my hosts. I, I am so thankful to be a guest in America. Now, I understand under the, the 1790 Immigration Act, I would, I would be rightful, a rightful citizen, right? But, but I honor, you know, like if I, if I, 
if someone comes up to me and says like, well, you're actually um, a hypocrite because you're an immigrant in South Africa, in America. And I'm like, yeah. And I fully honor this host country. So, so my approach to Americans is I'm here to honor you and obey by your laws, obey by your customs. So there's many things that I look at Americans and I'm like, why would you do it that way? Cause we do it differently in South Africa. I look at Americans and I'm like, I wouldn't do it that way. And so because it's only one of me and I've married into an American couple, I do it the American way. I change my, my speech a little bit so people can understand me, especially on the phone, a lot of trouble. Uh, can I have half? It's like, sorry, what? Do what? <laughs> half. It's fine. I change my speech. I, uh, I accommodate the host because I, I want to be a good guest, right? So you have, you have all these immigrants coming in who are like, whoa, for the first time in my life, I'm at peace. This is amazing. But if you bring 200 South African Anglos and you drop us off in a little village of, of 2000 where I am right now, I'll tell you right now, we're not assimilating. We're having braais every Friday night. We're going to play rugby. Our kids are going to have a rugby club and a, a cricket club. Uh, we're not going to play these American sports. Uh, we're going we're gonna to keep our slang words that we communicate with. Uh, when we go down to, to uh, the, the auction or whatever, we're going to talk in Afrikaans to each other because we, you know, like, hey, man, how's it going? Like, if we don't want the, the Afrikaans, uh, if we don't want the American guy to know that we're going to collude on something, we'll, we'll speak in Afrikaans or in Zulu. We don't assimilate because we have group momentum. And that's the problem with most of the size of immigration. You know, you had all the Irish coming over, so they stay Irish. You have all the Italians coming over. They create a mafia. You have all the Mexicans coming over. They create a little Mexico. You have all the Indians coming over. They create little Delhi. You know, you have all the Chinese coming over and there's no reason for them to assimilate. You know, so my wife and I, when we were coming, uh, our, our trip before last to South Africa on the way back, we we're coming back through the, the re, uh, the immigration line or whatever it's called at the airport. And there's this group of little, uh, Chinese ladies, none of them could speak English and they've all got a blue American passport. And so they're like, you could see they didn't know what was going on because they can't speak English. And so this African-American lady, the, the customs official is like, over here, <laughs> like shouting at them. And they're like, oh, coming over with their passports, like one at a time. And they all like surge forward to the line. She's like shouting at them. And then they're like cut under one of the barriers and just cut straight across. The, and like, so they're getting shouted at by customs officials. And I was like, get back to, to what the, the main thing we were saying here, DBG. Um, immigrants love America. For the first time in our lives, we have peace. If we assimilate, right? If we obey and honor our hosts. Um, whereas the liberals, elite liberals, see only oppression. And here's where it really gets to the crux of the matter for all of us. This is why I race. Because I'm free. I have no guilt. I have no shame. I know Jesus loves me. My guilt and my sin and my shame has been total. Like, I'm a free man, right? I don't have any moral hangups that are like, I hope no one, I hope no one, like chaps, what you see is what you get, right? I'm not some amazing super Christian, super influencer, super guy. Like I'm just an average guy like you. I have no skeletons in my closet, right? I, I, I have nothing that someone can come and say, Scott, I'm going to expose your deep dark secrets. It's like my wife knows everything about my life. My family knows everything about my life. I'm not a secret guilt ridden, uh, afraid of being exposed guy. Right. Um, and, and, and 
I, I, I'm glad you guys are all anonymous, right? For a lot of guys, keep anonymous because you're building something that I'm not building, right? I've chosen a very different path as it's what God has got me on, right? So, so anonymous, anonymity is very good. So I'm not saying you're hiding because you're ashamed, ashamed of anything. That's, that's not the case. I'm saying the reason I can, I can talk about this is because I've, I've identified in the liberal an incredible guilt and I've identified in the, I'll, I'll say this enlightenment Christian, right? That's all of us. We were all brought up in enlightenment, liberalism, enlightenment, Christianity, enlightenment, school indoctrination. Um, you know, so you get the boomer Christian, not in the boomer, it could be a 30 year old Christian, but, but you're under boomer liberalism mindset, enlightenment mindset. And the moment I say, Hey guys, let's talk about race. And it's like, my guilt, my shame. Like we can't go there. And it's like, okay, like you need Jesus, brother. You know, you're so afraid of just talking. Why? Because they don't want to be canceled because God is not their provider. Their job is their provider because God is not their good father. Uh, the, the pastor of their church, like if he says I'm a bad Christian, then I'm a bad Christian. So I can't have, you know, it's like, because if someone had to come to me and, and many people have, you know, many people in my past, uh, Christian friends, uh, people in authority, you know, schools or whatever, have come and said to me, like, Scott, you're a shameful person. You're a bad person for talking about this. How dare you talk about this? And it's like, okay, uh, I'm not ashamed. I'm not in sin. I'm not, um, I have no shame over who I am. And so it doesn't control me. It doesn't work on me. Your, your liberal tactics of how dare you, or you should be ashamed of yourself or whatever. It's like, it falls off a man who knows that through Jesus' blood, he is righteous. And so this brings me to what does the liberal, the liberal is actually incredibly white supremacist. The liberal thinks that everyone should be Anglo in values or uh, Danish, Nordic, Germanic in values. Everyone should share. Everyone should be kind. They, they expect of the non-white to have this on the inside, a white person bursting to get out. You know, so for me, I was Mr. Rainbow Nation. Uh, I used to be very liberal, very uh, just classically liberal Anglo. It's, it's the school schooling I was brought up in. I used to think that all my Zulu buddies, all my Indian buddies, all my mixed race buddies, everyone was just like me, a good South African who had a vision and values of South Africa is going to prosper and I'm Mr. Rainbow Nation and we're all going to do this together and, and high trust and high uh, teamwork and all this stuff. <clears throat> what I didn't understand was that it's only the Anglo boys who identify as South African. You know, uh, we're all in this together. No in-group preference. Our in-group preference is this beautiful rainbow flag. Uh, the Zulu boys are like, I'm Zulu first, then if at all South African. Or the Indian boys, I'm Indian first, then at all South African. All the Afrikaner boys, I'm Afrikaner first, then South African. Uh, all, all the colored boys, I'm colored for, uh, that's the mixed race. I'm colored first, then South African. And so the only guy who gets screwed uh, is, is all the little liberal English boys who have no in-group protection. Right. So if there's and, and I don't say this to engender conflict or engender uh, uh, aggression, but let's just say there's a fun boxing match. Right. We've got these fun big gloves and the teacher says, right, English boy, uh, Zulu boy, Indian boy, colored boy, Afrikaner boy. 
We're going to set up this ring. Five, it's a five-way free-for-all boxing match. Here's the rules of the game. The first one to lose, the other bunch of you guys get all of his uh, toys and sweets. It's a winner loses all. Sorry, uh, loser, loser gives all. It's a loser gives all match. So we all we all get in the ring, and the white boy's like, "We can all just share, guys. We can beat the coach if we just all share. We all got our toys. We all got our our sweets. Let's all share." And all the other four are like, "You guys ready? We get we target him, yeah." And the little white boy's like, "Oh, diversity is my strength." And you know, it's it's just waiting for connection here, chaps. Let's say I marry my wife. All right, and we have a nice we 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 buy a house and we we get our fridge full of food and and we have a, a bunch of nice beds ready for our children. And other girls start coming over and like just walking into my house, eating out of my fridge, taking my wife's car and driving her car places. And I'm like, hey, wait, wait, guys, like, hey, whoa, 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 like this isn't your house. This is this is my house and my wife's house. And then the girls say to me, you you bigot, how dare you? This is all our stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I'm not a beggar. Okay, okay, you can take my stuff. Then later on, I see that they go back over to their house. So I'm like, well, they came and took our um, stuff from our fridge and drove our car. Like, okay, like, I suppose I'll go in and drive your car and, and take stuff from you. So I go, good English boy, and I knock, 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 knock. Uh, uh, yes, hello. Um, could I have something from your fridge, please? Please, sir, could I have some more? You know, and they're like, nah, screw you, buddy. Lock, <laughs> locked out. I was like, oh, no bother. Um, yes, I, I suppose you you can do that. that it's property rights and uh, individualism. And uh, yes, yes, very, very, okay. Okay, I'll go back to my house. Um, uh, but, but next time I'm, I'm locking my door. No, you can't, you bigot. Leave your door open. Oh, okay, okay, I'm, I'm not a bigot. I'll leave my door open and go back to my house. That on a societal level is in group preference, right? You know, uh, all this this angst of just please don't call me a bad name. And it's like, guys, it's okay to have boundaries. You like – oh, so, so this is what happens, right? So the neighbor keeps coming over and it's like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks for the beer. <laughs> you know, oh, sorry, man. We just had a party in your living room and trashed the couch. Sorry, man. We just had a dump in your toilet and didn't flush. You know, and they start doing all this stuff to your house. What happens? You start getting angry. You start resenting your neighbor. You start devising ways of doing harm to that person. Why? Because they're abusing you, right? They're not safe. They're not trustworthy. And so trust goes down. Happiness goes down. Peace goes down. I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to live here anymore. I need to move somewhere where I don't have to have neighbors like this. And so, you know, what happens, racial harmony is achievable, right? I say, I say, um, I don't say harmony is achievable because harmony of what? That's where these these boomer Christian or liberal uh, enlightenment Christian who doesn't want to talk about race, you can never have racial harmony, racial peace, unless you discuss racial boundaries. So, you know, for me, a lot of churches, churches can be multiracial, but they cannot be multicultural. Whoever the leader is, his culture, you know, so if it's an English chap leading a church, it's going to be predominantly English Christian. If it's a Zulu chap leading a church, it's going to be loud and vibrant and long 
And like, it's a Zulu church. It's going to be a Zulu culture. That's not a sin, right? You have to be able to talk about racial issues. So we see with um, the Acts church, right? There's a bit of racial tension, the Jewish widows and the Greek or the, the um, what do they call them? Anyway, the, the Jewish and the Greek widows, right? These guys are getting preferential treatment. So if you if you take our liberals, like, oh, no, we, we can't have that, chaps. We must treat everybody the same. And I was like, no, 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 guys. Okay, we have Greek deacons to take, uh, take care of the Greek widows, and we have Jewish deacons to take care of the Jewish widows. There we go. Problem solved. Like, it's a racially peaceful solution. So in a church where we have English, Hispanic, and Black in America, if we can't talk about racial issues between all of us, we're going to start, it's, it's that resentment towards the neighbor who's abusing, right? Well, I, and this is what's happened, right? Because the media and academia and big church, whatever you want to call it, are pushing uh, black grievance without ability for whites to achieve repentance or freedom, right? White guilt, black grievance. White guilt, black grievance. That's what they're pushing, right? So in, in essence, the white guys are like, I don't have any grievance. I don't have any guilt. Like, I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're Hispanic. Just sort your crap out. Don't come and be grieved at me. Like, that's the mindset of the average guy, right? But they're pushing on you all these black martyrs and black victims, and it's your fault. So what happens in white guys, we'll go to a church, and we know, like, guys, church is multiracial. Be nice to everybody. So, like, oh, there's the black guy. Like, hey, man, good to see you, brother. Hug. But but secretly inside, I'm like, crap, I'm this is not safe. I can't have this black guy in my, in my, through my armor, because what if, if we become friends and we're driving in our pickup truck one day to go play golf together. And he's like, yeah, man, you owe me reparations. Oh crap. Like, you know, that, that's the, that's very basic, but you, you create, you're creating suspicions, right? And likewise with the black guys, right? Let's say I go to a black church. Let's say I go to Pastor uh, Reverend Manning. I love that guy. Or Jesse Lee Peterson. I love that guy. Let's say I go to their predominantly black church, worship the Lord together. And, you know, they would have this skepticism of like, is this white boy, is this white boy here to whatever the narrative of the media is, prey on us, enslave us, abuse us, uh, what are all the narratives? Like, uh, he's going to chase us at midnight and burn a cross on our lawn. Uh, he's, you know, whatever the, the worst narrative of what white people do to black people. And I force them to like me and I force them to invite me to the potluck and I force them to invite me uh, to the, the men's group. It's like, they're going to have their walls up until I prove myself safe. And how do I do that? By being honest about race. I would say, hey, guys, I know I'm the only white guy. I love you all in Jesus Christ's name. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to pull up grievances. I'm not going to pull up um, any crap between us. You can talk to me like a man. If you guys say, hey, Scott, you're, you're white, uh, please don't please don't frown when we all get loud, right? We're a black church. We're loud. And when you frown, you make us feel like we shouldn't do that. I'm like, yeah, I can see that. You guys, yeah, awesome. Perfect. All good. Boom. All the pressure gone. All the tension gone. Why? Because I've just made myself safe. 
because I've spoken truthfully about race, right? So same way for black guys, if you come to a predominantly white church, right? Hey guys, this is what I would say if I was a black guy, right? We're like, hey guys, I know I'm black and we have issues with fatherlessness, crime, uh, you know, whatever the, the issues are that could be a barrier to you guys feeling safe around me. I want to let you know, I want a family. I want to be a father to my children. I'm not going to steal your stuff. You can talk to me about anything that I might be doing that is culturally offensive to you. In fact, we all love him even more. Like, whoa, a based black guy. Like, that's what they always say. Like, oh, a based black guy. And it's like, yeah, because he's honest about race. And so it's not a tiptoe walk around eggshells, right? So the way to racial peace is to talk honestly about race and to, to, to disarm grievances and allow people to put up boundaries, right? So that's the other thing I would say. If I was a white guy going to a Japanese church or a black church or a Hispanic church, it's like, guys, I don't expect you to like me. I don't expect you to cater to me and invite me to every potluck. And, you know, you go, you go over to the Japanese sushi potluck and there's, you know, 20 Japanese dudes. And it's like, oh man, we have to speak English around the white guy. Otherwise we're rude. And it's like, guys, please, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come to your potluck and ruin. Or if I, if I'm in Japan and I've joined a Japanese church, I'm going to learn the heck out of Japanese. And it's like, guys, please speak Japanese. I'm going to learn Japanese. Just speak to me like I'm four years old, really slow. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I feel embarrassed, but I want to learn Japanese. And I'm going to address Japanese. And I'm going to honor your culture. Boom, all tension gone. And they're going to love me. They're like, he's our white um, mascot. Like, bring him to everything. Because he wants to honor the Japanese guy. He wants to honor the Japanese culture, right? Alrighty, John Terry, society is a racial construct. My man ain't got that magic dirt. DVG, what do you think made 19th century European immigrants so willing to abandon their old world languages and culture to be Americans, but not new immigrant ones? Is it the preaching of liberals? That's a great question. Here's my opinion. If you grew up as a, a poor, um, lower class European, you know, German, Nordic, Italian, Scotch-Irish, Dutch, whatever, Spanish, whatever you were. Life in industrial Europe was monarchy, monarch, monarchy, monarchial, uh, Roman Catholic Church, just absolutely like uh, it was, a, it was a, a rigid class system that you were never going to get out of. If you're born poor, you die poor. If you hear that I can get on a boat and go to the American dream where any man can become his own lord, his own aristocrat. Any man can rise from poverty to uh, wealth, from violence to peace. Any man can have significance over, instead, instead of survival life, we have significant life. It's like, and, and, and all I have to do is assimilate, become Protestant, become English speaking, like sign the dotted line, boys. It's where we're, flip this over right now, right? We're at that place now in America where we are in that rigid class system of if you're not liberal and not woke, you're going to die uh, outcasted, right? Apply this now. Let's say uh, Poland, Russia, uh, Estonia. Uh, what are all these based uh, Eastern European countries? If they said, if, you know, if the president isn't, uh, whoever the based uh, president is, I mean, Putin's pretty based. If he had to say, 
all Anglo white boy. You allowed to come to Russia. I give you citizenship. Two condition: Eastern Orthodox, learn Russian. It's like how many of us would be like 20 acres and a mule if I learn Russian and become Eastern Orthodox? Like telling you right now, it's a it's a no-brainer. And I think that's what happened in 19th century uh, Europe and America. Uh, De Yeoman. I remember an Afrikaner freaking out because I walked in a room without turning the light on first. It made me realize a few things. Yeah, we have these little idiosyncrasies, you know, these little cultural, these little cultural things, you know, that that we just like, we wonder, like it's ingrained in us, right? It's not, so many things are just so ingrained in us. You know, my Englishness, like I almost feel like the meme you know, my dad, we learned uh, British history. Like I revered the British great men. I never went to Eton, but I treated my high school as if it was Eton. I never went to Sandhurst, but like all my dreams and, and glories were being an officer in the, in the British uh, army. Uh, you know, and, and the meme becomes you. You act like the great men of your tradition. And likewise, the little Afrikaner boys grow up dreaming of Um Paul Kruger and trekking through the wilderness and killing lions with their bare hands and making biltong and uh, creating a farm out of, out of bare dirt by sucking water out of the ground 20 meters down. Like that's the Afrikaner great men, you know? So cool. All the little idiosyncrasies that come up. DVG, nice American accent. Thank you, sir. DVG, it sounds like what you are saying is that it can't be both ways. Either you have in-group protection or you don't. Having it both ways is actual oppression. Exactly that, my man. That's what I'm saying. You know, the biggest, the biggest straw man out there is that nationalists hate other nations. The, apply the straw man to marriage. Married men hate other women. It's, it's absurd. Fathers hate other children. Absurd. Yeah, have it both ways. You know, and that's the other thing. We give agency to black men. We give agency to Asian men. We give agency to uh, South American men. I don't, I don't have to save little African babies. Why? Because they've got their own uh, strong men. They've got their own faith leaders. I don't have to save uh, South America. Why? They are strong men. They can do their own, like they can look after themselves. This, this would be super dishonoring. I have my wife and my very orderly little beautiful children. And across the street, there's a neighbor with an ugly wife and ugly children, and there's flies on the children's lips. And I go over there, and I tell that husband how to run his household, and I tell that wife how to run her household, and I discipline the children, and I walk around just disciplining children, and like, oh, yes, you know, that's colonialism, is what that is. And that's the liberal Christian mindset today, is we need to send little white boys to Africa to teach them how to be on the inside, white. You know, that's our success as Christian missionaries is, did they clean up? Did they become civilized according to English common law? You know, and, and all these things are good for us, but it's not good for them. You know, you, you, make, you make any other non-adjacent tribe, I would say, you know, there's adjacent tribes and then non-adjacent tribes, right? So Afrikaners and conservative traditional Englishmen, we can get along right? I, I won't be, people will, I stick out like a sore thumb at an Afrikaans gathering, right? But my children, if I bring my children up 
in, in an Afrikaans culture, they will have a great go at it. Likewise for the Afrikaners, an Afrikaner sticks out like a sore thumb at an English event, but his children can be brought up very well assimilated, right? However, there are certain tribes and certain cultures that just will never assimilate. If Jared Taylor, the lily white uh, son of Protestant missionaries in Japan, he was born on Japanese soil. He's not Japanese. He's fluent in Japanese. He's not Japanese. He may even believe in the Shinto religion. He's not Japanese and he never will be. His children will never be Japanese. And no one thinks like, yeah, that, you know, that's not absurd. It's like, that's, that's true. You know, alrighty. It's getting riled up here. Alrighty. Um, oh yeah, but the point of, the point of, oh, we're saying that DVD, we can't have it both ways. You know, if Jews are allowed to talk about the Holocaust, Christians are allowed to bring up the Holodomor. Like I was thinking about that this morning, you know, I was like, why don't we bring up the Holodomor every day? I mean, we're not victims, but to honor them and make sure that that never happens again. You know, what, what caused the Holodomor? Marxism. Who is the root of Marxism? Uh, there's, there's things that we can bring up every day that create a, uh, a different worldview, right? The reason um, that World War II was fought, uh, there was actually a far bigger genocide, a far bigger uh, Holocaust that the Anglo world, uh, the Anglo world let down their brothers in Christ, the, the Russian Christians. We let them down and we let 20, 30 million of them die to Bolshevism. You know, and it's like, why don't we ever bring that up? That's a, that's a white guilt that we can appease and, and make uh, restitution for, right? The restitution for that is never again. Never again will we let Marxism take root in our institutions. Never again will we allow Marxism to, uh, you know, uh, take away the, the everything that we find sacred as Christians. And it's like, you know, meh, let's have it both ways. Let's have it both ways. You celebrate the Holocaust. We'll celebrate holiday more. Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy, right? Let's just be honest and let's give it both ways. Alrighty. DPG, so liberals reviving resentment is reviving suspicion and mistrust. Exactly. You know, that's what resentment and, and um, grievance is, you know. The first sin in the garden was grievance. Satan, the first journalist, comes to Eve and he says, did God really say He's, he's twisting words. He's twisting headlines. The headline was, God said, You're, you are my image. You are made in my image. You can eat of any tree in this garden. Just don't eat of this tree. Uh, when you do, um, you've disobeyed me. And, and so this is the one thing of free. This is what enables free choice. You know, and, and Adam's probably like, flip, that's clever. Like the first theological light bulbs are going off like, because obviously theology is one of our loves as men. You know, we want to know about this God and how he made us and the ways of God. And so Adam's mind is like, whoa, that's brilliant. Free choice requires another choice. Amazing. So that's the headlines, right? Headlines of the day. Satan, the first journalist, comes and says, did God really say that you can't eat of this? You know, did God really say that you'll die? You know, I think God just doesn't want you to be like him. Hmm? And then Eve is like, like, oh my gosh, resentment. God is withholding from me. God is not good. Like, I want to be like God. And it's like, you stupid idiots. God made you in his image. Very good. Anyway, we come to this thing of grievance. I, you know, my wife and I love Survivor. We love, it's our, it's our one vice. 
Forgive us of it. We love Survivor, the TV show. We don't have a TV. We we uh, stream it or whatever you call it. We don't. We don't really. I, I'm not justifying myself. We watch Survivor. No guilt. No shame. The thing about Survivor, right, is it's a brilliant social study. I almost have. I almost have a suspicion that that Mark Burnett and Jeff Probst made Survivor to show Americans to themselves. I think they're super based, like. They want to show these social dynamics, like, look how ugly you all are. So on Survivor, it's all about lies, voting, and alliances. Democracy. They're showing you democracy, right? But one of the things that always happens is you'll get someone who doesn't mind lying, and they'll go to someone else, and they'll be like, hey, Scott, uh, John wants to vote for you. He's been about one. So now I'm like, I hate John. We're voting for John. Let's get this bastard out of here. And then I go and, and now there's alliances and factions and you get to the tribal council and you're like, boom, we'll all vote out John and we crucify John. He's out of the game. And John's like, I didn't see that coming. Like I was just minding my own business, you know? And, and that's the media. The media is like, Hey, black guys, the white guys owe you. They hate you. They stole from you. They blah, 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 blah. Hey, white guys, the black guys, they hate you. They steal from you. They murder all your people, blah, blah, blah. And both are true. Both of these things are true. But as Christians, now this is where it gets interesting as Christian nationalists. As Christians, we don't bring up former things. We don't bring up past grievances. We are honest, right? And so we're like, hey, I don't have, you know, so so for me in South Africa, it's like, you know, I've had friends murdered by black guys. I've, I myself have been involved in quite a few interactions with black guys uh, breaking the law against me. Um, I even was threatened to be killed by a black guy. Um, and so it's like, I can, I can be super angry and hold on to that grievance and be like, I hate, you know, whatever tribe and build my life around that. Or I can be like, Hey, I forgive you. I, I don't hold a grievance against you. I bless you because if, if I don't forgive, God won't forgive me. And if I don't bless my enemies, God won't bless me. So I bless you, but I build a boundary, right? It's okay to build boundaries. It's okay to not let people into your house. It's okay to not let people take advantage of you and, and be naive. You know, we're, we're supposed to be gentle as doves, so we don't harm anyone else. But wise as serpents, we don't let anyone harm us, all right? Um, I'm, I'm all over the place here, guys. Oh, yeah, so that, that was, that was uh, resentment, you know? So, so for blacks... If they really want to be Christians, they would forgive the past uh, hurts and, and misdeeds of white people, knowing that by forgiving, they are receiving forgiveness. And by blessing, they are receiving blessing, right? God's blessing works regardless of your race, regardless of your tribe. If you forgive and bless, God will forgive and bless me. You know, that's why I can't hold this resentment towards these guys, because otherwise I'm not, I'm closing the conduit of God's blessing in my life, you know? The second thing is all these guys, you know, who waste all their energy being like, all right, let's go and attack this tribe. Let's go and beat them down. Let's go spend energy. It's like, guys, don't waste your energy hating other people. Don't wait. You know, it's it's the whole thing of of guys who uh, have a wife, divorce them or, or do something bad to them. And now they go like, all oh, women are terrible. I hate women. And, and you spend your whole life either abusing women or avoiding women. And it's like, guys, just forgive and let God bring blessing to your life. Like, let God heal this thing of like, it's okay to have boundaries. You probably had really poor boundaries against your 
first wife or your ex-wife. And it's like, we need to heal our own guilt, heal our own insecurities and shame and identity. And then we can be honest and have boundaries. And from my boundaries, I can choose whether to help or not help. You know, the, uh, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan was not a Jew. The good Samaritan was a despised. The good Samaritan was the white boy of his day. He was despised, served a different God. Like you, you don't touch him or you become dirty. He's not allowed to come into your town. He's not allowed to drink from your well. You don't go to his town. You don't drink from his well. <clears throat> he sees a Jew on the ground bleeding out. He's being attacked. It's like, he's a good dude. He's like, I don't like Jews, but I mean, there's out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to help this guy. Right. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have angst against Jews. I don't have evil in my heart towards Jews. So I'll go help the guy, but he doesn't take the guy, put him on his donkey and take him back to uh, Samaria. He doesn't take him back to his house and then sets up this little Jew as a shopkeeper in his. And then all of a sudden this Jew takes over his town and now all his family moves to this town. And now this town is not Samaritan anymore. It's now a Jewish town. And it's like, Oh, you know, like there's resentment there. He puts him on his donkey and he takes him to a Jewish innkeeper. He takes him to his own people and he says, Hey guys, here's money. Here's help. Like, I love you guys. Bless you. Uh, hope everything goes well. And he carries on with his life, right? The Jews must look after their own. Samaritans must look after their own. Like, you know, that, that whole thing where Paul says, um, you must look after your own household. You know, how can you claim to be a Christian if, if you deny your own, if you do not look after your own household? And you just apply that wider and wider of how do I, how do I not feel guilty about Africans? How do I not feel guilty about Asians? It's out of left my heart. Like I wish them well, I bless them, but they're not my calling. My calling is Lily White Boys who are entrapped and enslaved uh, and are the last unreached people group for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the gospel? You are free brothers. There is now no more guilt. There is now no more shame. This is my one thing, right? So I don't, I wish everyone well, who's a missionary to Africans and a missionary to Asians, but I have no guilt and no shame to say that white boys are my uh, responsibility, my God given desire on my heart to see set free and, and blessed and without grievance and without despair and not entrapped and all that stuff. Praise God. Buddy Rob. Hey brother. Good afternoon. Uh, Jared Taylor is Lily. Who, who white? I wish I could say it like that. White. White. Um, DVD Christians almost never bring up the cruelty of Roman emperors. We don't hate Italians. Exactly. Like, guys, I couldn't care less, you know, and, and how many whites were and still are enslaved to the Middle East, to Arabia and Turkey and the Ottoman Empire. And it's like, guys, just carry on with life. Forgive and uh, put up a boundary and move on. Um, also, if we were going to go full reparations, will the West African chieftains that sold their fellow black Africans into slavery also have to pay the reparations? Exactly. Because people forget that black Africans were bought from other black Africans. Exactly. And that's where we can just be honest about it. You know, it's like this whole thing of, of who owes who. You know, in South Africa, that's the, the big thing right now is land, uh, land reparations, uh, land claims and things like that. And it's like, okay, so the English and the Afrikaners, well, the Afrikaners stole land from the Tosas. Then the English stole the land from the Afrikaners. So then the Afrikaners moved on. The Afrikaners stole land from the Zulus. Then the English stole land from the Afrikaners. So then the Afrikaners went and stole land from the Sudus. And it's like, you know, there's this trail of conquest. And then it's like, so all the Zulus are like, yo, it's our land. But if the Zulus were like this crazy conquering tribe who, who stole land from the Amangwane, who stole land from the, 
uh, Amaswazi, who stole land. Like there's 20 different tribes that the Zulus came and conquered and stole land from them. And then where I grew up in the Drakensberg, the, um, the Amangwane, it might've been another tribe like the Amathlube or, or whatever, they stole land from the Bushmen. They hunted the Bushmen. So the Khoisan Bushmen were forced to, to go and move. You know, so do we give it all back to the Khoisan? Were they the first ones there? It's like, we have to, we have to be unashamed of conquest because we can let go of others' conquests against us. You know, it's, it's like the Afrikaners and the English. Uh, my people did a great injustice against the Afrikaners. Afrikaners are doing fine. Like they're not crying that I'm alive or that I exist. You know, it's, we've got to move on and be like, God is my blessing. He will repay me seven times what any earthly man has ever stolen from me. And we have to believe that. Dun, 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 dun. Thank you. Impressions are a spiritual gift. Uh, Rob, the past was tribal. The future is tribal. We must learn to understand that the dual code of morality to be successful within that environment. Yeah. So, so one of the, the biggest things of my prayer that it should be the prayer of every Christian, right? Nationalism for every tribe and tongue, Christ for every nation. Why do I say nationalism? What does that mean? The, the Amish are a tribe and a tongue, right? They have a peculiar tribe and tongue. The Afrikaner is a tribe. Uh, us Anglo, uh, you know, there's many distinctions. The, the Canadian Anglo, the Australian Anglo, the American Anglo, the New Zealand Anglo, the South African Anglo. But us Anglos are a peculiar tribe. And, uh, and we have our regional peculiarities. Nationhood looks like an Amish being able to have sovereignty over his own economy, over his own legal system, over his own borders, right? So the Amish are still a tribe. They're not a nation. Uh, the Anglos were a nation who then became an empire over other tribes and subjugated them. And now they've been subverted and have lost sovereignty in their own empire, in their own nations. So we're back to tribal state, uh, but being run by our own machinery that we set up, if you want to call it that. So, so tribalism, chaps, the Amish are the real religion of peace. No one would dispute that. No one would dispute that the Amish are the, the most peaceful tribe on earth. Tribalism is an incredibly peaceful thing if you have good boundaries and good morality, you know, and you have Christ as your guiding, guiding star. Bad tribalism, you know, is, is like, is like Judeo Islam where there's either subversion or overt uh, taking over uh, Anglo Anglo tribalism, imperialism, uh, American tribalism, imperialism. That's bad, right? We're, we are aggressing and taking away other tribes sovereignty. That's, that's downright demonic. That doesn't mean because someone used a gun badly that none of the good men should carry guns just because some, some cultures use tribalism badly doesn't mean that the good cultures should drop tribalism. Uh, you know, we, it's, it's the same thing with authoritarianism. You know, I had a, I had a libertarian uh, drop the mic on me on Twitter earlier saying like authoritarianism is bad. And I was like, dude, just because bad people do it doesn't mean the good people should stop. All righty. Uh, Rob, uh, I hope you will go on RY again in the future. Who's RY? Gonna have to give me more. All right, dear Yeoman, the wife thing is good. Uh, the wife thing <clears throat> is good rhetoric, but hate is now defined as any barrier to outsiders 
accessing your collective property. If we try and repossess collective property, which is now disputed, wouldn't that look a lot like hate? Asking for my pals in Tibet. Yeah, exactly, man. And, and, and this is where we play the frame game. You know, we are living in the liberal enlightenment frame. And that's why we as Christians have to start having these honest, no guilt, no shame conversations, you know? And I think that's the way to approach it is you have to diffuse the bomb right at the beginning. You know, so so for instance, if you get into if you get into a and it's not going to be with our enemies, liberals, there's no point debating liberals. Debate is over. It's it's now power encounters. So so for instance, if liberals come at you and be like, you're a racist, bigot, shame on you, how dare you? You're you're shameful. And it's like, I'm I'm clean, I'm free, I'm guilt-free, I'm I can I can give you that same freedom if if you'd like to pray with me. Um and let's lay aside uh, any fear of being judged. Let's let's talk. Let's talk about the things we all really want to talk about: race, sex, money. Let's be honest about things, right? And that comes from us not accepting the punishment. So that, that's my thing for white boys. The good news for white boys is that we are free of grievance. We're free of punishment. God loves us. He wants to bless us. And likewise, we need to drop our punishment of others, drop our grievance towards others. But this thing is, well, then, Scott, how do white boys retake land, retake institutions, uh, retake sovereignty? You know, is it with a gun? Is it with blood? No. <clears throat> Number one is with boundaries. We stop taking the punishment. We stop accepting their frame. We stop accepting their negotiation, their offers. You know, their offers are insane. And we say no. And then we counter offer. We counter push. It's okay to push. Pushing is not murdering. You know, it's not going out and uh, deporting 80 million illegals, you know, which would be a good thing. But we're never going to get there in a democracy. You're never going to get there in a liberal frame because, oh, I hate Nazis, Hitler, bigots, all this stuff. Instead, it's, it, it is the neo-Amish way. It is. That's why I titled this video. Judeo-Muslim uh, local scale dominion tactics. You know, it's me. They don't care. They don't care about the culture. They don't care about the popular customs. They go about their own thing in a multi-generational in-group way. And, you know, 20, 30 years from now, uh, we own the economy of a local area. We own the legislature. We own the sheriff. We own uh, the, you know, like, there's this, there's this slow resolve of we're going to take one thing at a time as a group. Individualism is out. You know, individualism, I love that meme where it's the 300 Spartans behind their shield wall. And there's Jordan Peterson. And he's like, Leonardo. <clears throat> I can't do Jordan Peterson. I can't do the squeaky voice. How, how, does, uh, how does the frog speak? But he's like, Leonardo, don't you think we should be individuals? Let's, let's be individuals. You know, it's, it's the breaking up of in-group preference against superior in-group firepower. You know, that someone uh, tweeted a while back, which I was like, wow, that's really brilliant. But he says, if whites are attacked collectively, are they not allowed to defend themselves collectively? And that's what the libertarian tries to do. He's like, oh, he's afraid. He's afraid of honesty, afraid of confrontation. He sees the hordes descending on the 300. And he's like, I'm going to pick myself out of here and run away and be an individual. And it's like, dude, they're just going to eat you last, man. You know, they're just, 
I'm running away. And it's like, it's that other meme I really love. It's like, uh, we made this. And then everyone else on the outside, ours now. It's like, oh, bother. We made this. Ours now. Like, you don't fit in here. Go somewhere else. We made this. Ours now. You know, it, it never stops until you push back, until you set a boundary, until you say this far, no further. We will not be abused anymore. And, and that's the frame. You've got to push back the frame with equal language. You know, you've got to push back with you're an abuser, you're abusive, you're you've got to you've got to accuse them with even more extremity of what they accuse you. You know, and so if someone comes and says, you know, Scott, you're a racist, you hate black people. And it's like, no, you hate white people. You are uh, uh, an absolute coward and a bigot and you hate white people and you're not even willing to speak um, honestly about the real problems uh, attacking the black family. You know, the real enemy here is, is Christian families, black or white. You know, they want to break Christendom. And so you go for the father. The black father is down. He's gone. Mission accomplished. And now they're using the fatherless uh, black population to now take out uh, the white family. The, the real issue here is Christian family. Let's go, let's go straight at this. You hate family. You hate the father. You hate father rule. You, your father abused you, didn't he? You hate father God. And so now you're casting it all out on, on society. Da -da -da, DBG, what's funny is that people forget that it is God that determines the success of various tribes. Very true. How, how much do we honor God? You know, that, that scripture in the Old Testament where it says, if my people will humble themselves, uh, seek me and pray, uh, repent, turn from their ways, humble themselves, seek me and pray, um, I will heal their land. That's a people group. That's a, a tribe having collective uh, repentance. It's you can't. I cannot repent on behalf of a Zulu. I cannot repent on behalf of an Afrikaner. They're not my people. You know, I can encourage them to repent. I can encourage them to seek the Lord. But my responsibility, the God, God will ask of me, Scott. Did you encourage your people to seek me as as a people group? Did you encourage your people to repent as a people group? You know, and that's why it doesn't work with all these blacks and, and Jews and um, uh, Asians accusing white people to try and be better. And, you know, my fellow whites uh, or like white people need to do better, all this stuff. It's like you guys don't have that responsibility or authority uh, to call us to repentance. It is our own people who have to call ourselves to repentance. Likewise, all of us white boys, we can't preach repentance to the blacks. We can't repeat. We can't preach repentance to the Jews. We can preach salvation to them and encourage them to repent, but it's not our responsibility. They have to have their own collective repentance to be blessed by God as a tribe. In my opinion, God allowed European conquest of the New World because of their grievous religious practices. It says that <clears throat> it says that when God is is chatting with with Abraham. And they, he's giving him the land. And he says about the, uh, the Philistines or the Canaanites, he says uh, they have yet, their sins are yet backed up or, or stored up. You know, their, their time is not yet for their, their own destruction. And it's like, geez, that's intense. And it's like your sins as a group uh, are, you know, they're stored up against yourselves. 
uh, Rob, RY is Rebel Yell podcast. Yeah, enjoy those guys. You know, and again, you know, that, that's a fascinating, there's a fascinating thing that we should all be talking about. You know, a lot of guys say, um, you know, America shouldn't secede because then we're giving, we're giving in. But you look at how America was, how the West was won, how America was built. It was a very homogenous uh, power structure. And even within that homogenous power structure, the Texans, different people, the Appalachians, different people, uh, New England, different people, the Irish and the Italians, different people. And so you, um, you look at this coalition of, of people sticking together. It was a Protestant. It was a holy Protestant empire, the Holy Roman empire in, in Europe. America is the Holy Protestant empire. We were stuck together, not because of our ethnic similarities, which we were, we were all adjacent ethnic adjacents, <clears throat> but we were stuck together by a collective religious origin, meaning, morality, destiny. And it's like, yeah, we can make this work. We can be good neighbors, you know, federalism, uh, it, it's sovereignty within brotherhood. That's not the case today, you know? And so you look at this thing of, of what does the American flag symbolize? It's who owns the American flag? You know, each, each person, when they see the American flag, they see something different. You know, for me, the American flag, uh, <clears throat> It reminds me of the founding fathers and 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 the OG uh, Puritans and Pilgrims, uh, and what they uh, hew out of Plymouth Rock. But you you take some social justice uh, twenty year old woke person and they look at the American flag and for them the American flag means gayness and sexual liberation and UBI and Globo Homo and McDonald's and big box McMansion and suburbia. And that's what the American flag means. You know, a flag is simply a banner that people attribute collective meaning to. And so in America right now, we have 10 different tribes, different collective meanings. And so the rebel yell guys, it's really interesting that they are being, they have a sincere desire to just do their own thing and be at peace and, and have sovereignty for their meaning of the American flag. You know, for them, it would be, it would be the, the Dixie, uh, the Confederate flag. And this just freaks the liberal worldview out, you know, conservative liberal. Uh, when I say liberal, I, I say the enlightenment values, you know, we all live in a liberal world. <clears throat> so enlightenment conservatives are just freaked out. How can you give up the flag? How can you give up all of this stuff? How can you be honest about race? How can you be mean? How can you want exit this glorious experiment and it's like you know there comes a time where you're like i think i think if people don't start talking the truth the only only pressure release left is to separate you know it's that whole thing of pruning shears if you don't allow the pruning shears the only thing left is to change and we're at the point where like pruning shears is talking it's being honest it's having truthful discussion and then negotiation setting respectful negotiation, you know, so just, you know, it's, that's how the Overton window moves and, and failing that it's the chainsaw. It's, it's cutting, it's cutting ties. And so the way we have respectful negotiation is for one side to put, 
for their acceptable demands. The other side puts for their acceptable demands and we meet in the middle. But only, uh, you know, the, the white in-group, there is no in-group preference. We have no demand making of our own. We have no collective demand making power. We don't go ape and chimp out in the streets when, when one of us dies. We don't go and boycott stores when they slander our people. Uh, we don't sue people when they slander us or do things bad to us, abuse us. <clears throat> we don't go and help our poor. You know, the Jews have a saying, no poor Jew, because they look after their own. Uh, so it's just all very, very uh, fascinating. Yeah, Der uh, Yeoman, claim space one foot at a time. Exactly. You know, and, and so I'm going to end on this. We've been going for an hour and a quarter. Very passionate about this. Just because there's freedom for us. You know, there's, there's, there's a pressure release by talking about this that our society needs. But so, so the big thing here for us chaps is, you know, because kind of like the accuser in my mind says to me, like, Scott, you know, stop stirring up crap by talking about this. This is not local. It's not practical. You're just causing trouble now. And it's like, no, no, no. It's very local. It's very practical. You look at the Jews, you look at the Muslims, you look at the, at the Mormons, you look at the Amish, you look at the Indians. They have cultural dominance strategies for their local area that comes about by being happily them. Like, be happily Indian. Own the gas station, work it, you know, whatever your dominance strategies are. Be it happily. Like, guys, it's time for us to be happily. Like, this white boy summer thing is great. Like, white boy summer, love the white boys, love your people, love your place. You know, I think this, like, it's okay to put up boundaries. It's okay to talk truthfully. Uh, you know, start looking out for our own. Um, and every time people come and accuse you of being a bigot and being all of that stuff, don't don't argue with them. Just be like, you know, I, I, I'm unaffected. I'm unashamed. I'm, I don't have guilt. And, and maybe I, I can just, you know, for, for posterity, but it's like as white guys, chaps, we have to understand that Jesus loves us. God, lo God loves white boys. God loves America. God loves England. God loves Canada. God loves Australia. God loves New Zealand. God loves African Anglos. You know, like God loves us. He made us Anglo. He made us with this temperament and this personality and passion and customs and peculiarities, you know? And if we don't love ourselves, we're dishonoring God. And if we don't love our place, we're dishonoring God, you know? And it's, it's that whole thing of, of have a good family and that, you know, we can't save everybody else's children, but we can save our own children. We can't do everyone else's business for them, but we can do our own business. We can't carry everyone else's burdens for them, but we can carry our own burdens. And it's this thing of, of it's okay to be white, guys. It's okay to love your own people. It's okay to say, I like quiet uh, Saturday afternoons, grilling and watching the cricket. You know, it's like, praise God for it. So I just want to, uh, you know, it's how do we have, because a lot of guys would be like, Scott, that's pride. That's ethnic or racial pride and pride is a sin. And it's like, no, 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 I love my dad. Is that dad pride? You know, I love my grandfather. Is that grandfather pride? It's humility. It's understanding that <clears throat> I come from a, a long line of Anglo legends. And so I, I don't take this like, 
uh, I'm somebody because my grandfather, like I do, I feel, I feel amazingly thankful and grateful for who my uncontrolled lineage is. But I don't go around as an arrogant prick saying, ah, bow down to the wasp, bow down to this wealthy Anglo-Saxon Protestant. It's ludicrous straw man. It's, it's, it's absurd. You know, instead it's like, because of who my father was, like, I want to be a better man because of, of who my grandfather was. I want to be the most English Christian gentleman to have ever walked this fine earth. And I, I'm aware of my British peculiarities, our sin, our sins are to colonize and uh, take control of other people groups. So I'm working on that. I, I no longer want to take responsibility for houses that are not mine. Uh, I take control of my house and, uh, our, our ethnic glories, uh, are orderliness and structure. And I can give that to the world and strawberries and cream, uh, at the tennis, you know, so it's just, I think chaps, there's this amazing and same, you know, same for, for black guys, like, Take pride, you know, like find, find a way. Again, okay, not take pride. Take humility in who you are. You know, if, if you have this desire and love for your Africanness, go back to Africa, go visit your roots, go, go reconnect. You know, if you want to go live there, that's a great idea. You know, same with, with Asians and South American guys, like love your people. You know, I love that meme. There's a meme that said racists of the world unite. Like I've never been so... I've never had so much tolerance as I have had from other racists. And it's like, and, and that's used facetiously racist as in like race realist, like talking honestly with each other. But it's like, yeah, like there's Zulu guys who adamantly, uh, and again, I'm falling into the frame, hate white people. They don't hate white people. They just, they've seen, they want sovereignty. And it's like, guys, yes, I understand. Like we can openly chat and I can, I can, I can respect you and you can respect me because like, I'm not trying to control you. In fact, I think Zulu separatism is badass. Like, praise God, I would rather be, you know, in my South African days, I'd rather be a second class resident in a Zulu kingdom, a subject of the Zulu king, uh, than a citizen in this global homo democracy uh, tyranny of the black majority that the, the black nationalist uh, ANC government is. You know, I can support, like, a based Zulu nationalist. I'm like, dude, we'd be friends. I can support a Japanese nationalist. Dude, we'd be friends, you know, because we can be honest with each other and, and have fun. Like if you can't joke about your ethnic peculiarities with each other, like if some German guy can't come and say, oh, you English, ha, 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 you, you know, pink in the sun and redneck and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, that's hilarious. You know, you bloody German Nazi and he can, ha, 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 ha. you know, and it's like, that's fun. You know, same with, with the Zulus, like, you know, they've, they've got so many fun peculiarities that, you know, we can laugh at. And you look at, at, uh, the Asians, you know, it's hilarious. Like all the different things, like God laughs at our peculiarities. We should too. Praise God. Um, Rob negotiation and contracts rely on the participating parties to act in good faith. Exactly. High trust society. You know, I gave that, that example in the last, um, stream where I said, you know, if you grow up with three siblings and then you all have children and all your children, cousins play together and you have, you know, you're always with each other and there's family gatherings, there's high trust, right? Because we have the same father who brought us up with the same rules and the same punishments and the same objectives. And then we raise our children that way. You know, the father, 
I look like my father. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. And then if you see my sons, you should hopefully see me. And then when you see my grandchildren, you should hopefully see all the way up to our grandfather, you know. But now let's say that my father hates us. And uh, he now, he goes and he adopts three other sons from far away different places at full at 25 years old with three of their own kids. <clears throat> now family gatherings are, oh my gosh, like there's so many more people at the family gathering that I don't know. I don't have life experience with. I never grew up with them. They were never punished for stealing my stuff. I was never punished for stealing their stuff. Like we have no built up morality. Do they give the things back? If I get like, if I go and be nice and, and offer to help them, will they give me my stuff back or are they going to take it? Like, are they going to be offended? Are they not? Boom. Trust goes down. And now we're fighting for resources. Like, Hey, I knew that me and my three brothers were going to take over the family business. Like dad, did you cut them in on their inheritance? Like, are they all getting what we're getting? Like, are they, do they have access to, to everything we have access to? Like, and now there's a competition anxiety um, for, what was just a peaceful traditional, like everyone understood their roles now. And now maybe these guys are anxious and like, oh, we need to please these guys or like, oh, I hate them because they hate me. And now survivor, right? We're back to survivor where now we're, we're, we're all telling lies about each other and gossiping and blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, they're dangerous. And you know, that's what happens in democracy when you, you have different tribes competing for the one ring to rule them all, to divvy up resources, to tax, uh, to create race-based laws and and land reclamation, all this kind of stuff. Alrighty. Ironically, having no boundaries makes you afraid of everyone. And boundaries make you safe and make you feel safe and relaxed around everyone. John Terry, see you, brother. Alrighty, DBG, as you show yourself faithful and little, then God may make you in charge of more. That may include more than one ethnic group, but your first responsibility is your own tribe. Exactly. That's it. And we can bless other tribes. We can bless other ethnic groups. We, uh, we must first clean our own home. Love you guys. Have a phenomenal day. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. And praise God.